This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Hey, family. I want to talk to you about a book that I'm reading. Actually, I've been reading this book for the last six months. You know, page here, page there. But now I'm really diving in, and it's called Where Do We Go From Here?, Chaos or Community, it is the last book written by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was published in uh, 1967, a year before his death. He actually spent time in Jamaica writing it with no telephone uh, because it was so important. And I imagine, even though it's not written about, that he had evolved in his thinking about civil rights and equal rights, and this was going to be his blueprint. This was the manifesto that would lead him into his poor people's campaign. This was going to be the challenge to America about where we were going to go next. And the question was simple. Are we going to have chaos or community? And I'm not even halfway done, so we're probably going to do another podcast on it. But where I am right now, I want to put a pin right here because it's poignant. But I imagine King being optimistic that we could have community. I'm not so sure, but we're going to have this discussion anyway. Where do we go from here, chaos or community? And in this book, he writes, for the vast majority of white Americans, the past decade, the first phase, had been a struggle to treat the Negro with a degree of decency, not equality. White America was ready to demand that the Negro should be spared the lash of brutality and coarse degradation, but it had never been truly committed to helping him out of poverty, exploitation, or all forms of discrimination. He writes about black folk being optimistic during this time, optimistic to the point where um, job training programs were just bursting at the seams. Uh, black folks were reading books more than ever in the history of black folks being able to read. Uh, black folks were going to college in record numbers because they no longer saw themselves doing menial labor, domestic work, being janitors, et cetera. This was a, a high level of optimism in the black community, but at the exact same time, King realized something else was going on in the larger society. There was a backlash, a rise in the Klan, and a rise in apathy, white apathy. And what he realized is that what white people, when he was marching with them across the Pettus Bridge, and when white folks were joining in the voter registration drives and losing their lives like Viola Luozo and Schwerner and, and, and Goodman, priests and nuns, what he realized is that what white folks were fighting for was not equality. Again, it was the end of brutality. They were tired of seeing the dogs sicked on children and women. They were tired of the water hoses hosing down citizens who just wanted the right to sit at a lunch counter. They were tired of seeing that billy clubs bash black men in the heads and blood pouring. They, they were disgusted by the, the show of brutality that was showing up on the 6 o'clock news every night. That had to stop. But what they didn't really, really want to stop was the inequality, because they benefit from that. And it's interesting, you know, um, as we think about where we are right now, similar kinds of brutality going on right now in America, similar kinds of outrage and similar kinds of allyship. But the challenge right now, if you're a white American, are you upset and angry? Are you aligning with Black Lives Matter and, and all of the black and brown folk out there that are fighting for equality? Are you aligning because you're tired of seeing a brutality? Or do you really believe in equality? That's a question only you can answer. I'm gonna get to that in a second as it relates to us. Uh, but, black and brown folk. 
But King, you know, and as he wrote, when atrocious behavior was curbed, the spirit settled easily into well-padded pockets of complacency. That's what he said about white people. And it's the same today. It's the same today. Kyle Korver, Kyle Korver, NBA basketball player, he plays for the Utah Jazz now. He wrote a piece in the Players' Tribune entitled Privileged. It was published April 8, 2019. He opens, when the police break your teammate's leg, you think it would wake you up a little. When they arrest him on a New York street, throw him in jail for the night, and leave him with a season-ending injury, you'd think it would sink in. You'd think you'd know there was more to the story. And this is his teammate was Thibocephalosha, who ended up ending his season when uh, he was at a nightclub and an altercation ensued, and the police broke this six-foot-seven athlete's leg. That's how brutal the beating was. Broke his leg. But Kyle Korver saw that incident, and he, he writes this, and he said, well, if I had been in Thibault's shoes, out at a club late at night, the police wouldn't have arrested me, not unless I was doing something wrong. So he's writing, some, he must have been doing something wrong. And how many times have we heard that? Police shoot, a, well, what was he doing? Oh, well, he, he must have been reaching for his gun, or he must, have, he must have given the police a reason. You can't fathom, if you're a white American, that the police are just brutalizing people, even though you're seeing it on video. You watched Walter Scott get shot in the back, and you watched that Officer Slager plant a taser next to him, and still a person on that jury refused to convict that man of murder, cold-blooded murder. So we are living in those same times, and Kyle Korver had to challenge himself. He plays with black, he, he's on teams with black people every single night. It's the NBA. And he considered Thibo a friend, yet he questioned what did he do to deserve that. And it came full circle when Russell Westbrook from the Oklahoma Thunder came to the Utah Jazz to play, and a, a, a person, a fan, started heckling him. And it got racial, and the fan said something to the effect of bow down like you're supposed to or get on your knees the way you used to. And Russell Westbrook didn't take too kindly to that, and the altercation ensued there. And what was crazy is that the team president, um, the owner, one of the owners actually had to give a speech and said, this is not Utah, this is not who we are. And they had a closed-door meeting, Kyle Corbett writes, where – he got to learn about the experiences of his black teammates, that every one of them had some story to tell that was similar to what happened to Russell Westbrook, and now he's confronted with this again. Okay, it could be me. And coupled with Cephalosha being found not guilty and the police settling out of court for use of force, when he started to get uneasy about maybe he's not seeing these things properly. So he's challenging himself, but that takes work. That takes self-reflection that most people aren't willing to do. So kudos to Kyle Korver, who also writes, there's an elephant in the room that I've been thinking about a lot over these last few weeks. It's the fact that demographically, if we're being honest, I have more in common with the fans in the crowd at your average NBA game than I have with the players on the court. I'm still in this conversation from the privileged perspective of opting into it, which of course means that on the flip side, I could just as easily opt out of it. Every day I'm given that choice. I'm granted that privilege based on the color of my skin. 
So I asked the question, where do we go from here, chaos or community, in a country where people every day can just opt out? They don't have to be involved with worrying about their child coming home late at night or being, being you know, sitting to a fit of anxiety when police stop you because you don't know if this is going to be that stop that could end your life. Or just basic going to the store and having white people call the cops on you and being in your neighborhood and having white people. You know, like the level of terror that the average black person may have to endure, and maybe it's not every day, but when it happens, it's, it's, it's more than enough that white people never have to consider. And then when something tragic happens, like a Eric Garner or a Trayvon Martin, there's the audacity of, of questioning and challenging. Well, what did they, well, if he wasn't on that corner selling Lucy's, well, he wasn't selling Lucy's that day. He was breaking up a fight, Eric Garner was. And he got choked to death with an EMT person there, and no one tried to save his life. And that's okay. Not guilty. Nobody goes to jail for that. And that's okay. So like Kyle Corver said, you've opted out if you're white in America and you don't care about that because it's not impacting your life. It's not at all. You can go on about your business. So that leads me to King, who feared he integrated his people into a burning house. And he did. You know, he talks about, he writes about uh, the the unfulfilled promises of those civil rights legislations going all the way back to Brown versus the Board of Ed. In this book in 1967, he writes, just a decade, 12 years, excuse me, after the passage of Brown versus Board of, Board of Ed, 12 years after the passage, fewer than 12% of schools in America were integrated. Roughly 2% in the South. Today, guess what? Schools are still segregated. 50, 60 years after Brown versus Board of Ed. I, I did a piece at the Daily News when I was covering education on the editorial page about the segregation in New York City. New York City is one of the most diverse cities in the entire country, probably in the world. And yet, there are schools in New York City that are 98% white and Asian. There are schools in New York City that are 99% black and Hispanic, a lot of them. How is that possible in a city so diverse? Well, it's willful because White folk can opt out. They have options. They don't have to send their kids to school with black kids if they don't want to. And they don't have to live with them. I see. I saw this firsthand. You know, we, we get successful and then we move into the suburbs because that's the, the, the blueprint for success. You gotta move into these tree-lined, you know, roiling uh, grassed areas and these great school systems. I'm putting up air quotes because you are sending your children into a burning house when you do that. But don't worry, don't fret, it won't be long because if it's more than two or three of y'all moving into a neighborhood, that neighborhood will soon be black. I witnessed that myself when my dad purchased our first home. I was four years old and I've shared this story before, but um, the people that sold us the house, they were white and they like destroyed the house. Uh, I could, you know, we, we, when we moved in, the carpets had burned, cigarette burns, and I mean, they, they, they tried to destroy the house before, before we were able to move into it, which was crazy. But the neighborhood was mixed when we bought the house, and within two years, there was one person left on the block who was white. So all of this running to make other neighborhoods great, that's not the move. And King's Poor People's Campaign, where he was bridging the gap, that's the move, that's a great move, Got him killed. I'm going to put that over here because that's not what this is about. But I wanted to bring up this book and, and talk about 
King's uh, perspective and how it has shifted and also Kyle Korver to say this. As I'm reading Where Do We Go From Here, I'm, I'm feeling the disdain for a movement that King talks about in Baby Steps because he had to come to the conclusion that all of that work and all of the head bashing and all of the deaths and all of the, the blood in the soil, all of that ended up with some gains that were then rolled back. So for example, Brown versus Board of Ed, the reason why schools never really got integrated is because that same Supreme Court then kicked it back to the states to decide how in the timeline that this integration would happen. And left on their own devices, guess what? <laughs> it didn't happen. Much like Reconstruction, eight years of that, uh, roll back, here's some land, we're gonna take it back. All right, here's some job opportunities. Nope, sorry, we're gonna take it back and we're gonna start creating laws to, to, to make it illegal for you to not have a job with a white person. So the, the one hand is giveth and the other hand is taketh away because it's, it's reliant on the person, the ally, to do the right thing. It's reliant on the Kyle Corvers of the world to, to always step forward and never opt out. Well, you can't have success if your success rides and depends on somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in your success. You're never gonna be successful. So my solution, King, is we're gonna have community, but it's gonna start with us. So in order to have the larger community that, that he wants, because right now we're in chaos, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, um, in order to have that larger community, our inner community, our, our own community has to be solid. You can't have a relationship, a successful relationship, even personal relationship, love relationship, where there's such an imbalance of power. Somebody's gonna get abused. You know what I'm saying? You have to come in with equal balance, which means that, hmm, my businesses have to be so good that they sustain the neighborhood that our dollars circulate so much that our kids never have to worry about a summer job because there's a business here, here, and here that my kids can work in and apply, and that dollar keeps circulating in our community, which then builds up our community. We never have to worry about any kind of uh, police force because we are joining police forces and we're challenging our mayor that we elected to make sure that we don't have a hostile police. The things that we can do, which we can do locally, is focus on the state legislature, the Board of Education. Some of us need to run for office, but more importantly, we need to tighten up our neighborhoods so that instead of running away, we stay and build. And for some of us, for a few years, it may be a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice worth having because the truth of the matter is, we're gonna have chaos if we don't build community. And that starts with us, not the larger community, because given a chance, they opt out. 53% of them will pull a lever for somebody that has no best interest for anybody in this country because of the scam. 53% of white women did that. Given the choice, eh, eh, that cop can't be guilty. They'll sit on a jury and find a police officer not guilty of murder when we've all witnessed it with our own eyes. Given the choice, no indictment given a chance. So we have to really focus on self-sufficiency. And if you are an ally, a true ally, 
don't be fatigued. You know, uh, it's a it's a challenge to stay engaged when you don't have to. But here's the here's the real secret. Um, as we go, the black and brown folk, so goes America, so goes the world. And so it actually is in your best interest to see equality, not just a lack of brutality, but equality because even your children benefit. Because if you have to compete on an even playing field, then the atrophied muscles that you've developed over the last 200 years now have to be kicked in, which makes you more, more successful. You have more skills. You shouldn't want to, as King writes about, I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you, when you see 60 years in the making and you go back and, and, and you see what he writes about. He says, um, whites, it must frankly be said, are not putting in a similar mass effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn. To have so little to learn, eventually that's going to catch up with you. That's all I'm gonna say, all right. And I'm okay. You know, I'm not okay with it because we all live in this world together. And you know, this made-up construct of race has been uh, dividing us for far too long. It's time for us to, you know, get it together. But I'm, we're not gonna wait for you. And that's the message of this podcast. So if uh, you you have something that you can do, do it. Don't sit back and wait for somebody to do it to hand you. Uh, sympathy, to like you, <laughs> uh, or to do something for you, do for yourself. Um, if this podcast has given you any moment of pause or thought, I would love to hear it. You can go to uh, Twitter at Karen Hunter, hashtag chaos or community, hashtag chaos or community. Let me know what you think about it and share it. If you, if you got something from it, please share it with as many people as you can. Let's build this uh, family here. I appreciate you. Love you. Till next time.